this Taylor Menachman, this is page 68 if you have the answer. Um, this Taylor is a, explains how a person should have an easier panosa. So easier making a living. And uh, you know, we, we as humans love to have, you know, buy the lottery and win it. That's what we would love. I always tell people that seems like that's, you know, that's not what Hashem wants us to do. He wants us to go out and make a living. But the question in this study will explain in many ways how sometimes learning the Torah literally makes a, a, having a living much easier. You know, it's like the same deal, some, you could wheel and deal, sometimes goes easy to deal, sometimes you work so hard, you know, and just finally, finally, one of the deals go through. So he says like this, let's start. When a person pronounces the words of Torah aloud, as he studies, his speech enlightens him regarding all places where he needs to repent. See, the Torah is not just wisdom. It's a very important uh, uh, thing, which it's explained in especially by the Balam Kibbalam. That means the Torah, you learn an out, a, a concept. It could be a brilliant concept. It could be a simple concept. It could be so simple as saying that uh, you're not allowed to eat a raven. Simple concept. The words of the Torah, when you when you study it and you say it out, this is what he's going to explain, when you verbalize it and you say it out, has a power to enlighten you. Even though you spoke about not eating a raven, who is interested in eating a raven? You know, the raven is a, a, a black bird, the big, the big black birds that fly in the neighborhood, which is, uh, 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 it makes a lot of noise. And, but it is a simple, Pasig in the Torah. That simple Pasig of the Torah, when you say it out, has a power to enlighten you for where you need the light to be. Which, he's going to explain it, Nachman is, we all have things to repent. We have shortcomings. Unfortunately, we do things that are not so perfect. And unfortunately, we have a history where we were you know, vulnerable, did things we shouldn't have been doing. So the Torah enlightens you for the person saying the Torah where you need to see to enlighten you for you to do tshuva. You know, certain people, and I always say in a simple form, certain people, food is terrible, test for them. And they might have eaten food that is not kosher. Certain people, you know, pritzes, um, uh, things that are not supposed to do sexually is a great test for them. Certain people, you know, in, they insult people. When Odom Lechaveira means, a friend in his uh, other person, he is not careful hurting a person. You know, the way he speaks and the way he talks to his workers or the way he speaks to his spouse. Every person has different things in their life which we need to repent. That saying out the words of the Torah literally enlightens the person where he needs to be lit up. You know, one of the things, the hardest things for us humans to do is to admit our mistakes. It's the hardest thing. You know, like uh, to admit your mistakes. I, I, 
I tell people, young people, when they get married, I always tell them that, that the first thing you have to learn to make a good marriage is not to be afraid to say, I goofed, I'm sorry. Simple. So one time, a guy asked me, Rabbi, that sounds so simple. I says, I want to talk to you two years after your marriage and tell me how simple it was. You know, it is simple. It seems simple. But when your ego gets involved, it doesn't sound so simple. Meaning to say, what Nachman is saying over here, it's difficult for a person just to come out and say, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. To Hashem, never to a friend, not to your spouse, even to Hashem. The trader lightens you up and you're able to face it and say, yes, this was not right what I did. I shouldn't have done it. And I'm sorry. Because it's very hard. It's much easier, I always tell people, to work to get better. But to stop and say, I am sorry what I did. I'm really, really sorry. That is difficult, even when you see it's important for your own spouse. And more so to Hashem, to admit and say, yes, Hashem, I'm terrible sorry, is not easy for people. The Torah lights up, not only able to say it, to find where you need to say it. See, Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, says in, his, in, in, in Mishlei, everyone thinks that he is in the middle of the road. I've often said this thing. The old thing, what I do, being Jewish, is exactly what Hashem wants. You know, the one... You know, down the block with the, the modern people, it's not what Hashem wants. The black hats, that's not what Hashem wants. I'm in the middle of the road. Every chassid thinks he's in the middle of the road. I would say the road must be extremely wide because everyone thinks they're in the middle of the road. You know, and everyone thinks, I got the truth. I am doing exactly. Why do we do that? Because we got to live with ourselves. You can't wake up and think to yourself, boy, I goofed again and again. So we have to tell ourselves, I'm doing, yeah, maybe I can get a little tiny better, okay, you know, but generally I'm perfect. This is why it's hard for people to repent and to see. The Torah literally saying, Nachman is going to say later, saying out the words of the Torah helps to enlighten us to see, well, this is not so good, this part of my life. This needs perfection, or this part of my life. Let it be. Gossip speaking, let it be more sneers, let it be getting along with a difficult uh, relative, sister, brother-in-law, who knows, whatever we, everyone deals in their life, it, the Torah lightens us up to become a better person. And even the Torah, which has nothing to discuss with this, like I said, you're learning the Parsha of don't eat a raven, which is a simple, those words of the Torah could help enlighten you up and see where you should become better, he says. <clears throat> He says even more, until he merits to do exactly the repentance that he must. Certain Avedas, it's, it's enough to say to Hashem, I'm sorry. You know, I'm really sorry. The Gemara has a list. Certain number of sins, just say, I'm sorry. Certain sins, you have to really more than I'm sorry. You know, very often we know, the ones that are married here know, you know, sometimes you tell your wife, you're sorry, that's good enough. Sometimes... That's not good enough. I'm sorry isn't good enough. She wants to uh, hear, hear the, the real deep sorry. Not just, you know, my wife says, you said it to me last week too already. Did it again. Sometimes I'm sorry and a simple I'm sorry is not good enough. The Havdal Hashem is also sometimes a simple, simple I'm sorry is not, not, not enough. It has, has to be more, has to be deeper, he says. Similar, 
on each and every occasion with each bit of repentance that he does, a person extends to the level, from level to level until he becomes out of his present low level and rise at the understanding of the Torah. Then he says even more. What helps, that it works two ways. The Torah helps a person to do tshuva, to repent, and then he el- the person gets elevated to understand the Torah in a much deeper level. See, knowledge and understanding is it, it sometimes it can be expressed. Two people can hear the same concept, and one takes it deeper and has a deeper effect. The repent it works back and forth. The repentance helps us see where we need to repent, helps it lights us up, and literally lights us up where our knowledge of Torah becomes even greater. He says. Then, uh, number two. I want to explain number two. You know. I want to say over interesting Gemara to explain this. The Gemara relates a story like this. The Gemara asks, Nebuchadnezzar was the one who ruled on the world. He destroyed the first temple. I don't know how you say his name in English, but he was called Nebuchadnezzar. Do you have an English name? Nebuchadnezzar? How is he called? Anyways, Nebuchadnezzar, according to the uh, 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 history, ruled over the world. And he destroyed the Besamekdash. The Gemara says, what merit did he have that he was literally ruler of the world? What? So the Gemara relates a very interesting story. There was a king before him who wrote a letter to Chizkiyui Melech Yehuda. There was a king called Chizkiyui. He heard the miracle that this king was very ill and he was almost about to die, and he got better. So they, the people send the letter, and the letter was written this way. Peace to the king, peace to the, the city of Jerusalem, and peace to the God of Israel. Uh, of Israel. When he heard this, he says, that's not how you're supposed to write it. You're first supposed to write peace to the God of Israel first, and then peace to the king, and then the peace of Jerusalem. Why did you put him at last? So he ran four amas, four steps he ran to stop the one who was delivering the letter. He said, stop, we have to rewrite the letter. For running four steps for the honor of Hashem, he was merited to become king and a ruler over the world. That's who he was. Now, what, what, what does the Gemara say? You know, he understood, he realized, the, the, you know, it's, they, if you know history, they were not, they believed in polytheism. So they believed there's a God of Israel, there's a God here, and there's a, but he at least saw, that's not how you talk. When you write a letter and you mention Hashem, that's the first thing you got to mention. So the mother says, he gave respect for Hashem. Very often, I've, I've watched this myself and others, we, sort of Hashem is a little bit cut off from us. We don't think of him so much. But the trick of Chesidus and the Nachman, and especially of Nachman, was we should not live a godless life. Many people are very from and do everything right, but Hashem is not part of the relationship. It's not we have like a personal relationship with Hashem. We don't even think about Hashem, honoring Hashem. You know, we, you know, you told me to do wherever you are, I'll do. I'll put on film, I'll put on mezuzah, I'll give tzedakah, but no, 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 no. You are connected to Hashem. Hashem is all over. Be respectful to Hashem. You know, like, 
I'll soon explain how, how respect comes, but there is a concept to give respect to Hashem. One of the things you respect Hashem is when in a shul you should not laugh and not talk. You know, one of the great things about the Svardom, many great things, but uh, one of the things after World War II, as I was growing up, I heard this as a young child, the, one of the famous questions was asked, why Hitler demolished the Ashkenazim, totally the six million Jews were Ashkenazim, and he never, almost didn't touch the Svardom. I don't know if you know history. You know, Hitler came in Casablanca, but very few people he killed. You know that, you know history that he did come into, in, like, and uh, he came to Egypt a little bit, but almost very, very few people in, in the Swadesh countries. So one of the explanations I heard as a child was, is the Svardom in Europe, in the, in the old country, never spoke in a shoe. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen anymore. But in the old country, I remember as a, as a very young man, went to a shul and, 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 um, and I stopped by, it was uh, so it goes back 30 years ago. I went into a shul and, uh, you know, I have long legs and the chair was uncomfortable, I crossed my legs and the guy started screaming at me. Didn't know what I did wrong. And the guy said, J just take your legs off. I didn't understand what he was telling me. He was just yelling at me, the guy by the shul. Can't even sit in a shul with crossed legs. In those days, in the old country, they didn't speak in a shul, which is gives respect. That shows respect. We forget about it. We unfortunately, in many ways, I will get later, how we, we forget that we should honor and respect God. This is a very important thing. So Ramnachma says, if when a person is careful, he will mindful that the honor of Hashem should be unblemished, that you should give him honor, covet of the Rabbanishlam, while he himself is despicable loathsome. You know, he says that part of honoring of Hashem is to be very humble. You know, this week's Pasha, I want to tell you a fascinating thing. When Hashem talks about Moshe Rabbeinu, and he wants to describe the greatness of Moshe. What does he say the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu was? He was the most humbling person in the world. Not just the most humbling person of the Jews, from the entire world, he was the humblest. No one ever was so humble. I mean, it doesn't say that Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest prophet. It does say later, but when he talks to, to Aaron and Moshe, Hashem so points out to them, you're talking against Moshe, he's the most humbling person that exists. When a person is very humble, he is very respectful. You ever notice this? Hum, uh, humbleness has respect to itself. When a person is not arrogant and is truly humble with himself, much easier to get along and the person is much, much more respectful. Humble people know how to give respect to others. Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humblest person and he knew how to give the greatest respect to Hashem. It works both ways because when you're humble, you can realize the greatness of another person. You can realize the greatness of Hashem. When you walk around arrogant, all you think is about yourself. You know, you know who I am, you know what I have accomplished. You know, in a, in a certain way, you're more focused about yourself than anything else. Humbleness is, you see, yes, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that Hashem spoke to him and knew everything. And he knew that Hashem praised him. The, the, the greatest interesting thing, he goes around writing, I'm the most humblest person in the world and he's still humble. Usually a guy says, you know, I need respect because I'm humble. 
Um, and Yishina, Moshebein wrote into the Torah. This is amazing, how the, he's so humble, and still he was the most humblest person. When a person is humble, he could give respect. This is true, you, you, watch, this, you watch this between friends. To relate what the Gemara says, the Gemara says, humbleness makes great shalom bias. Being arrogant makes, is a disaster for shalom bias. That's what you're saying in the Gemara. You know, people as humble, they you know, get along much easier. Easier to say I'm sorry, easier to forgive. Humble people forgive quicker, so you hurt me. People not humble have a very hard time letting go, forgiving, and have a hard time saying I'm sorry. When, when he's saying when a person gives honor to Hashem, has to be, you have to be humble. And then you realize uh, Hashem, you know, have to honor Hashem, giving the, the, the honor to, to the Barishlinim. He says, when a person does this, then his words of Torah have an incredible power to lighten him up. This is another aspect of, of your words of Torah. When a person is humble and respects Hashem, and inside, this is in the bridge version, has a long piece in the Zoyer who explains this, that when a person respects Hashem and is humble, then the words that he says out in Torah really lightens him up. Not only himself, he has the power to lighten other people. You know, we all know that it's much easier to hear someone telling you something that's right and wrong when the person is humble. It doesn't make a difference who the person is. Humble people could say things over to people in a much more accepting way. When a person is not humble, you know, even though you're not, you know you're wrong and the guy's telling you, but the fact that the guy has a little arrogance in themselves, you're not interested. You're just tuned off. It could be your best friend, it could be anyone. When a person speaks with just a remote arrogance, you're not interested in listening. When a person comes from humbleness, it's easier to listen. This is what he explains. When there's humbleness and there's respect to Hashem, it, the words lighten you up, and it lightens not only you up, it lightens also the uh, other people up. <clears throat> so then he explains number three. Uh, he explains that your person's got to work on being humble. See, as I began to say, every one of us wants to feel good about themselves. Arrogance comes because there's a need, there's a great need to feel good about yourself, and it's a healthy need. People walk around thinking they're nothing, are usually losers, you know, they don't have self. It's important to feel good. The difference is, is to know that whatever I feel good is, comes from Hashem. It's not me, it's not that I'm so great, you know, it's like, uh, it's, no one could, I cannot walk around thinking I'm so great because I'm over six feet tall. I was born this way. You know, nothing, there's nothing that I did that made me grow. I have a twin brothers, a head taller than, shorter than me. You know, it's not that I, you know, I had an uncle who used to tease me young, he was probably standing in the rain all the time, that's why you're growing so fast. You know, it's like, you know, it's a reality. Hashem made it. And certain Hashem made certain people to be bright, certain people not so bright, certain to be physically strong. You know, some not to be, certain people emotionally strong, certain people not so emotionally strong. All these things is really is a gift of Hashem. A person has to feel good is the problem is that he knocks others. That's a story when I mentioned a few weeks ago with the Chacham Tam. The Tam says, I feel good even though I'm silly. I feel great 
Remember, that? let me just repeat this part of the story where the Tom says he makes a shoe that has three corners. Imagine, he's such a bottling. Bottling means so, so he can't even make a shoe, and he has a shoe that instead has a front and a back, and there's a third place. And he comes home and tells us, well, look at this shoe that I made. Wife says to him, wow, why is your shoe sold half the price? And he answered, that's them, this is me. And he starts praising his shoe. Ah, I, I spent so much money on the leather, so much money on the glue, so much hours, I'll sell it. We'll have bread to eat and water to drink. And he's so happy with himself. The arrogant person, the chocham, you, you know, he comes home and he's frustrated. You know, I heard in shoe that said I'm not such a good doctor. Can you imagine what they said about me? Imagine the guy died because I was in, the guy, they don't, they don't understand anything about medicine. And he goes on and on and on. I once asked a bunch of women, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask them and men and women out together. I once asked a bunch of women, I said the story, and asked them, which person is easier to live? With a Tom, who's not very smart, but always smiling and happy, or with an arrogant, wealthy person? Almost everyone said, life was much sweeter to have a simple person who's so happy with themselves and so appreciative than having someone who's so arrogant and always busy with the self-covered. It's very difficult to be, not just to be married to such a person, it's also very difficult to have a friend such a person because all they think is about themselves, talking about themselves. And you know, the, um, the people think I'm not a good doctor and knocking themselves and sort of, you know, it is difficult. The simple person who just celebrates the, you know, the story, I, I, the bread. His wife makes some bread and he says, wow, such bread. I never eaten such bread. He knows, she knows, and everyone knows the same bread yesterday and today. But it's wonderful to hear it. And your wife is never going to get bored of it or your spouse being compliment again and again. Never. Criticism, even well, half a criticism hurts. But compliment, no matter how much you compliment, no one gets tired of hearing, you know. It is much easier to live with a simple person than with an arrogant person. So what, what, what the truth is, a person has to feel good to themselves. That's the crux of what he's trying to say. But not to be arrogant. You could be the Tom knew that he was a Tom. He was simple, not too smart. He knew that. And he knew that the much brighter people. But he was happy with himself. That's where his humbleness comes from. Arrogant person is always busy comparing. Do I drive the same car down the block? I need to, you know, to join what we call the Friedmans, the Schwartzes, the Hararis, and uh, I forgot the other Swadesh names. You know, we have to, like, uh, you know, that's, we have to join instead of being self happy. Self happiness is a humble thing. Just, I don't care what the whole world is busy. This is me and I will celebrate. This is what I have. This is what I bring to the table. This is my blessing. When the more humble a person is, the tighter that comes out has a bigger effect, he says. <clears throat> you know, let's see number four, the next page. He says, pride... is tantamount to idolatry. That means when a person walks around with uh, 
But being a pride person, which arrogance, is like an, an idol. Why? Because when a person walks around this way, sort of they worship themselves. You know, to make it very simple, you know, I, I, I was watching, uh, I'll change the story a little bit, that I had to speak once in the rehab center and I noticed something very interesting. Noticed that the young people who take drugs, is, they, have, they have nothing in life but to, their life is based, will be blessed if I could get them to a high. If I don't have a high, I don't, my life is not worth living. Sort of selfish people think that life, their life is gonna be great if I focus on myself. I have to get high, I gotta get my, my Yitzhahara, let it be drugs, let it be sex, let it be food, let it be honor, it's all about me. And then it's the most destructive thing. A happy life is a person who knows how to care of another person. Caring people, taking care of someone else, Raising a family, having a spouse, is the most fulfilling. It's the opposite that people think. People always are thinking that, you know, when I think about myself, it's great. When you think about someone else and you make someone else happy, usually it comes back to you, but you feel much greater. You feel much, much uh, 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 shalom. I've said this, the Zoyer always says this concept, that a man and a woman are half. When a man, before he gets married, he's just a male. When he gets married, then he's a man. He's a gavra, because before that he's only chesed. Now that he has to take care of a, of a wife, he's a gavra, means he's, now he's a strong person. The woman, before she gets married, is din. When she gets married, she nurtures her husband and children, then she has chesed, it makes them complete. Taking care of others completes a person. When, what what Nachman is saying over here, that Geis is Avodah Arrogant is Avodah because Avodah is, is like you're worshipping yourself. You are always busy with yourself. That's a, a famous Gemara. And he's saying, through this, he says, a person lacks the facilities of speech with which to speak words that enlighten. When a person has Gaiva, he lacks the speech, how to talk. You know, I noticed, I noticed um, years already that when people are humble, have a much easier way to articulate themselves. Arrogant people have a very hard time even saying what the feelings is all about. They can get angry and scream. They can't have a hard time saying what's bothering them. I was found that as a, as a fact. I'm not a scientist or psychologist, but I just found this as human relations, and people are humble, have a much easier time to say, you know, I feel terrible, I feel left out, and I feel this you've done to me, it's unfair, and you don't have to scream and yell, and they be able to be heard. Arrogant people, even simple talking, when they're very arrogant, all they do is you hear them scream, and no one hears, and no one listens. Very interesting, but Nachman is saying over here about Torah. It has the same thing when an arrogant person talks Torah, it has, the Torah loses its whole everything. When a humble person speaks Torah, the Torah literally enlightens them. <clears throat> now, number five, it says pride and sexual immorality go hand in hand. 
Thus, when a person guards his sexual purity, he's safe from pride and merits the light that illuminates the way for him to repentance until he attains a profound level of understanding of the Torah. Then he adds another thing. The Gemara compares the two things. Very interesting. He doesn't, again, this is a bridge. There's an interesting Gemara. The Gemara says, King Solomon said that an arrogant person, the end will be he will cheat on his wife. So the end of an arrogant person is he will cheat arrogant people. And meaning that two work together, the Gemara says, that you know the person who's humble is much more, uh, a morality section much more. Doesn't mean people have this, you know, men have to fight the eight Sahara more than women, but doesn't mean they don't have the eight Sahara. But it means that the more you watch about it, the more you're careful, the more you do it purity, the more you elevate yourself, and the, and the more you are humble, it will connect to you. And the humble you are, the better you're able to control, to, be, to do the things in a right way. You know, intimacy is a, is a holy thing, but if you misuse it, it becomes unholy. So the, the, these two things work together, the Gemara says. It says when a person does purify themselves, then they have a, able to talk and able to speak and to be elevated in a high level. Then, this is really what I want to explain. The bitterness experience in the struggle to make a living primarily rolls from the blemishes of homosexual purity. The Zoya, this is based on the Zoya. The Zoya says that the hardship of making a panasa comes from impurity of, of, of sexual things. That means why sometimes two people could go, and you find this often, and not always, this is always exact, but the Zoe does say you can find two people and they could go make a living, one is doing the same as the other and nothing is happening. And the other things are happening. It has to do with this being impure sexually. And more a person is pure, the more hatzlocha, the uh, success he will have in the business world. He wouldn't have to work. And the Zoe explains, you know, Udmerishan, to explain this, Adam Rishon, after he sinned, was kicked out of Ganadim. You know, the first thousand years after he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, life was extremely difficult. You know, you had to plow. You know, Noyich invented the plow. Before Noyich invented the plow, you had to, they didn't know how to plow. And it was just, it was very hard to have food. As times goes on, most over here don't even know how a plow looks. Most of over here, the normal plow, the machine does everything. You know, I had to, a few years ago, take my younger two daughters, I took them to the Fairplex, uh, what is it called, um, a fair, and just, I wanted them to see where milk comes from. You know, I mean, they, you know, I remember like taking them there, and they were like, wow, you know, they, you know, they, one was six, one was 12 then, and just, they see that, you know, it doesn't grow in the tree, it doesn't grow in the store. You know, we live, we are blessed that our making a living today, our hands are clean, no one plows, none of us are making, you know, the, most of us have a clean panosa, sort of to say. But it is still difficult. It's not so back-breaking, but it has difficulty. Every person in different ways. So what the Zoya says, that comes from the curse of Odomerishim. Odomerishim was cursed. 
And the Gezoi says there's 39 curses. There's 39 curses because you count the curses that Adam, Chava, and the earth got, it's altogether 39. The Zoe says, and what happens is this 39 curses as we live in this world, that makes the panosa so difficult. Like the Gemara says, I never saw a lion worrying for next day's meal. You know, a lion lays down, eats, and for a few days he sits and does nothing. I never realized, till I read my granddaughter's book about lions, lions could sleep 13 hours a day. Even I cannot do that during the day, forget the night. You know, the, if he's not hungry, he lazes around, does nothing. You know, I always used to think they run around all the time. Well, no, when they get hungry, okay. It's not worried. And we are so worried about Nasser. We're so worried about where you're going to have what to eat. We're so worried about where you're going to live. We're so worried about this. So the says, why is that? The lion, the sheep, and the calf, and everything was created for us. They don't worry. We do worry. So the says, this comes from the sin of Adam Adishim. Adam Adishim is sin, and that's why we, unfortunately, have to work. Now, the Lamet test, 39 work, the Zoe says, could be turned around you know, Lama Tess could be turned and become Tal, the dew. You know, this week's Pasha, we read that the man fell when the dew came down. I should pronounce dew, you say in English? Uh, the Tal. So when the Tal came down, it, that's when, because it could be switched around. The Zoe says, when a person does chuva and is special for the sexual immorality, the panosa becomes like dew. Easy comes easy without aggravation, without, and the more a person does chuva on this, the easier the panosa becomes. That's called tal oidis. The tal lamates becomes like do, like the man that came. And, and when a person, what Abnachim is saying is that it works both ways. If a person takes his arrogant out of himself, does chuva on the sexual immorality, then you work less, and your panosa is easier, and you're happier, and the toida, what you, the Torah that you learn will literally enlighten you to places where you need to be lit up. Going back to the original thing, then the words of Torah has the power to light you up, he says. He says, for a person who guards himself in this area, even though he engages in the 39 types of forbidden labor, let me, let me explain this even more, because this is a bridge. You know, Shabbos, there's Lamates Molochus. You know that. 39, 30, Shabbos is divided in a category of 39 things you're not allowed to do. General category, and each one, you know, which many, you know, we don't plow fields, Shabbos, but many things comes from the 39. There's exactly 39, Lamates Molochus, it's called 39 things you're not allowed to do. Based, again, as the Zoe says, based on the Lamates, the 39 curses that... Um, That what's the name that happened when Odomarisha sinned? Now, when a person does tshuva, even when he works, there'll be a blessing in the work. Does see? We would love. See, I always notice people would love to do tshuva and then buy the lottery ticket and hit bingo. That's not going to happen. You know, happens one and what is it? I don't even know the statistics. The fifty million. What happens is your panosa will be easier. Things will be easier. It won't be so rough. I mean, uh, you, you, we, we, everyone in business knows that often, you know, you do business deals and it goes smooth and often you're in business and it's just, nothing is budging. And it's like a wall. And you know, you know, you're just so frustrated. 
So what happens is, Ramlachman explained, when a person does tshuva about these things, the panasa comes easy. Now tshuva is very simple. Hopefully we get to Elohim. Tshuva just says, you say to Hashem, I am terrible sorry what I did. And the more you say it from the heart, the more it's, it's acceptable. Look, when we married people know, when you tell your spouse I'm sorry, she hears what type of I'm sorry you're saying, or you hear the type. If you feel heartfelt, then you, yeah, yeah, you're on. Then it's forgiven. But it's not heartfelt. All right, you got to say it. Okay, I know. I know you got to say it. Then uh, it doesn't go easy. It has to do with the heart that you're doing. The same with Hashem. If you just say to Hashem, I'm really sorry. It's simple. I'm sorry what I did. Mean it. Hashem forgives us. See, Hashem knows how we have to struggle to fight the Eitzahara. I know. He, we, he made us. Put us in this world. And, you know, it's, you know, young people have even more, bigger things to fight. But when a person says to Hashem, I'm sorry, that's all that Hashem needs to have. You know, the more you say it, the more you wipe away the sins, the more siyata deshma you're going to have. Help from Hashem. That he, uh, but it's simple. Many people think that doing tshuva means who knows what. It all means to say, when you pray, you say, Hashem, I am so sorry what I did. I feel foolish, forgive me, uh, just from the depths of your heart. Then Hashem listens to us. <clears throat> he says, even though he engages in 39 types of forbidden labor and trade his labors, on a level 39 labor performed the construction of turbulence, it's like dew of light. This is what I explained before, that the work that you're going to do not only is going to be blessed, the work that you do is going to be lit up. The Zoya says the work that you're going to do has going to carry a light with itself. You know, it, it's sort of a spiritual light it will carry. <clears throat> On the other hand, if you see the, the, the next sentence, one who blemishes his sexual purity is pursued by poverty. He draws upon himself the yoke of earning a limb with great struggle and bitterness, and his livelihood is likely 39 lashes. May Hashem save us. But he's saying over here that, uh, uh, even more interesting, he's saying that, you know, this lamatus, you know, this 39 lashes, let me explain what this is. Or a person eats chaza, and two witnesses warn him, you're not allowed to eat chaza. In the time of the Sanhedrin, when the temple was standing, they were bringing in front of him, and he would get 39 lashes. So, so the 39 lashes, again, represents the 39 curses, represents the 39 malachas, represents all connected. And uh, I'll explain in the middle the de a little bit of the Kabbalah, how it works. It's 39, and the 39 could be switched into the Lamates 39 lashes, which is trying to explain if you are impure sexually, then the work becomes like 39 lashes. You work and you work and you just don't see fruit. That is sort of getting 39 lashes. The reason it's 39, let me explain something in Kabbalah, very interesting. The mem in the Luchos was a square thing. I once explained this. Let me just explain it in a simple on Kabbalah. You know, the, the mem sophis is a square box. You know, that's exactly. In the Luchos, the Ten Commandments, the letters were through and through. When it was written, it wasn't ink on the stone. It was a hole through and through. An olive had a hole through.
through and through. The mem surface, which is a square, went through and through, and the Gemara says it was hanging in there with a miracle because the middle is a square, so the middle should fall out. It didn't fall out. It hung in there with a miracle. The same thing with the samach. The samach is a circle, and the circle was, went through and through, so the middle should have just popped out. It didn't. It was hanging there miraculously. The mem and the samach stands miraculously. Samach represents the creation. The world was created in six days. Each day it has ten spheres. You know, the spheres ten. Each day represented ten, so six times ten is sixty. The samach is the numerals of sixty. It represents, you notice, everything in creation is round. You, I once challenged people to find me a, a square or rectangle object of nature. You never found a rectangle frog or a square frog. Everything is sort of rounded. You never found a leaf, you know, oh, I found the leaf that's a rectangle. There is no, nothing, everything in the creation, the world is round, the moon is round, the sun is round, our heads are round, our body is rounded, it's not square, no animal walks around with a square head, you know what I mean? You know, does, everything is sort of rounded. The mitzvahs, what we do, everything is square. The tzitzis is a square, your tefillin is square, the, the, the sukkah has to be square. And almost all the mitzvahs, once there's measurements given to the mitzvah, it's always going to be square. It's going to be half the, the besmigdish, when it was built, had to be, had to be square. The oroin, the ark, had to be square. The shulchan, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the, you know, the 70s when they made every, the, the, the round shoes, you know. I don't know if you know the 70s or used to make round. Everything had to be square because the trade was given in 40 days and the mem represents 40. So it's 40 days that we got the trader. And, there's, and anything that, since we got in 40 days, everything represents one's dimension is giving has to be square. That's in Kabbalah teaching this is taught. That's why Mem in the Samach in the Luchais was miraculously withstanding. That's the famous thing about this. We always know as much as the Kedusha goes, the non-Kedusha goes. The non-Kedusha that travels, the non-Kedusha, is also 40, but we never reach it 40. We never want to get to the ultimate. We always get to 39. That's why it's 39 curses. That's why it's 39 lashes. That's why we want to turn the 39 around and make 39 blessings, sort of to say, because we don't want to get to the 40 because then we're really stuck, sort of. That's, so we don't want to get to the, we're trying to avoid the 40, sort of to say. In short, what we learned so far, that a person, when he, when, when he speaks Torah, the Torah will enlighten you where you need to be enlightened. I said this, it's very hard for all of us to admit our shortcomings. That's just a general rule. That's how we humans are. Very hard to say, you know, I'm really not fair with my spouse or my friends or business partner. We have a hard time. Generally, that's who we are, humans to admit our shortcomings. The Torah will help us enlighten us to do tshuva in the right place. Second part, what he's saying, in the, when a person is humble, his words have a much, much greater effect. And more so, when a person watches his sexual impurity and he does tshuva, his words will be even bigger, but he's saying over here, he will have to work a lot less. He wouldn't have this 
the, the curse of the working so hard will become much more diminished. The more person does tshuva and the more person learning. That's why learning Torah always pays off. You know, there's a famous thing where Nachman said this, this famous saying from, from the Nitziv, many great Sadiqim said this, if a person learns every day Torah, there's a blessing in his panosa. But he's got to make it a kviz. I say kviz in English, uh, set time. Set time, every day learning so much, so much time, it's guaranteed. I know someone, a person that I know, I once told him he was struggling terrible, and he took upon himself 15 minutes. That's it. I told him, yo, he has a house full of children, 15 minutes spare. And things turned around. It's the Blatter Nachman says this, many, many say this, because the Torah literally enlightens us. It's not just, you know, it's not, even though you're learning something which has nothing to do with you, you're learning a Gemara, a difficult Gemara, you're learning a Chumash, you're learning about the Novi, you're learning about concepts. Like I said, you're learning just the words, I'm not allowed to eat a raven. You know, how many times do you have to say it? Even saying that a thousand times has the power to enlighten you. Because Torah is not a wisdom. It's light, what you take into yourself. And the more you say it, anything, you, you read the Parsha. But the trick is to say it out. When you read the Parsha of the week, say it out with your mouth. This is very important because the Torah says if it's said out with your mouth, if you're reading yourself, it has the power to lighten us up. Any questions? Most of the what? That it's true, not most sinners. There are sinners over. He's asking what he's really asking. You find sometimes sinners who are very wealthy. Now it doesn't doesn't mean they are. Uh, you know, the, the Hashem has many ways how to teach us, and one of the ways is He wants to have a sinner this world to get paid and forget about the next world. So the Gemara says, yes, there are times that Hashem makes a sinner be very successful because he doesn't want him in the next world. I don't want him in, Hashem says, I don't want him to be at your party next time, the next party. Pay him now. You shouldn't have to come to the next party. But, you know, what we've learned in this Torah is, you know, which I encourage everyone, take time for yourself. If the greatest gift you could do for yourself is to take time for yourself. And talk to Hashem. Even you're not in a mood, you're in a mood like, you know, a terrible mood. Just sitting quietly for yourself, it makes a person so much calmer, makes a person so much inner serenity. And you're talking to Hashem, you really connect to Him. Listen, He's the one that has to help us. No matter what you do, you know, your panosa, your marriage, health, we need Hashem in every aspect of our life. And when we, we, we speak to him, we, we really sort of lightens us up and we look at what life is all about. We are blessed of blessing that we have time. Proof is how many hours people sit and watch television and the internet. It's amazing. And, and they tell a guy, hey, Rob, I don't have time to meditate. Come on. I once had a friend of mine, obviously the story over, called me up from New York, a colleague of mine, and I say, no. Moshe, did you meditate today? He says, Rabbi, it's 10 o'clock in the evening now in New York, and not today. I said to him, Moshe, I need 20 minutes of your time. I need to discuss something with you. You have 20 minutes? Yeah, 20 minutes for you have. So you gave me just now 20 minutes. I'm giving you right back to you. Use the 20 minutes to meditate. 
All of a sudden, he has 20 minutes. Of course, we have the time. We don't want to. Yeah. Okay.
to answer to them, to, er to Arabs and to government. It's so fascinating. Nothing in my school. Maybe somebody took the key from my car. Oh, maybe somebody took a key from my Oh, I want to tell you I something. I have to do something for you. But, yeah, but I have something. You're going to have to give me a lot. I have to give you some. A, 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 what's Two, called what I meant here? Two of them, yeah. Yeah. Alaska is a very good country. This is 